Welcome to Be Happy, a podcast discussing all things related to hepatitis B by the Hepatitis B Foundation. It's your host, Evangeline and Right. And today we are chatting with Ed Tate, Director of Communications at the Hepatitis B Foundation, who will be co-interviewing Dr. Tim Block, founder of the Hepatitis B Foundation. Dr. Block, if you can introduce yourself. Yes, thank you. I'm Timothy Block. I'm one of the founders of the Hepatitis B Foundation and its research institutes. And for many years, I was a professor at Drexel Medical School and Drexel and Jefferson Medical School in Philadelphia. Thank you, Dr. Block. I'll start off and then turn it over to Bright for questions. But let's start off by talking about what was the primary goal of the foundation initially and how has that evolved over time? Thank you. The, the goal of the foundation, Hepatitis B Foundation was to help find a cure for hepatitis B and liver cancer, the disease that it causes. That was the goal and a focus on hepatitis B and its related diseases. And that remains the goal today. Along those lines, that's our, so that's our primary goal, but Hepatitis B Foundation has evolved, as you asked, uh, to not only participate in cure research, try to advance cure research, but also to be there as the voice for people with chronic hepatitis B and and do the things related to amplifying that voice. That is advocacy to funders. Public health research has been very important in making our case and understanding. So it it certainly has widened and, and as the foundation has grown and recognized needs elsewhere. But I would say fundamentally, our mission is the same. We're interested in our stated mission, our tagline is improving the lives of those affected by hepatitis B and the diseases it causes through research and advocacy. And that is the goal today. That makes great sense. I'm wondering what has surprised you about the evolution of the foundation over 30 years and and what accomplishments do you feel are the most noteworthy? A couple of things that surprised me. One is that that uh, after all these years, there's still only a few hepatitis B focused organizations. Um, as far as patient advocacy goes, that in the United States, I'd say we remain the only. Nation- internationally, there are some other organizations that we work with, but given the fact that there are 200 to 300 million people in the world who are affected by hepatitis B, I guess I'd have to say I'm surprised that there hasn't been a bigger groundswell of of interest. I mean, I realize that when someone has hepatitis B, it's not their only issue, but uh, I guess that has surprised me a a, a little bit. Um, uh, On the the plus side, I've been pleasantly surprised at how gracious and collaborative is the hepatitis B community. Those are public health uh, officials, even the research scientists, and, and I, I come from a research world where there where there's a lot of competition. Uh, the hepatitis B community is remarkably collaborative. It's small, but it's, it, across international lines, it's very very collaborative. And now we're seeing that largely, I, I'd say, partly through the initiative of the Hepatitis B Foundation, but also other organizations like ICHBV and VHR. Uh, it's it's very collaborative. The groups get together and try to work together. Uh, now, I haven't been involved in all that many other advocacy groups, so I don't know how common that is. But I can tell you in in the other sectors that I work in, it is it's unusual. And I guess I would have to say I, I would be surprised. I was surprised. And for the next 
30 years, what goals do you feel are the most important for the foundation? The, the goal is to, to help find a cure for people affected by hepatitis B. <clears throat> We've seen um, hepatitis C come and almost go in the, in, the, in the time that the Hepatitis B Foundation has been around. That's what we want to see for hepatitis B. My, the goal for the Hepatitis B Foundation is in 30 years to be dealing with distribution of the cure and, and moving on to other diseases. Uh, we put together a great infrastructure here in public health and a great infrastructure here in research. And I'd like to see us be able to um, be required because we've run out of things to do on Hep B to work on something else. That, that is our goal. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Brock. Uh, mm -hmm. This is Bright here. Hi. Uh, so many people living with hepatitis B are really wondering when a cure will be available. Uh, could you share with us about why it is difficult for researchers to find a cure for hepatitis B virus? Thank you. I can tell you what I think. So first of all, you know, everything about hepatitis B on one hand is simple. On the other hand, it's very complicated. It's complicated. What is a cure? What is the definition of a cure? I've, I've carried around the definition of cure in my mind um, and what I call a clinical definition of a cure. And that is that is uh, meaning that someone with, who had hepatitis B suddenly returns the risk of liver disease that, uh, that someone with, uh, who had never been infected has, not even resolved infection. That, that's my definition of a cure. That's considered so um, ambitious uh, that, 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 is, that isn't even entertained by the, by the clinical community as a reasonable goal. So what the community has settled on, as you know, I think, as a, as a realistic goal is uh, what is called a functional cure. And that basically means uh, sustained virological response using the language of, of hepatitis C, sustained vi virological response off drugs. And that we assume is going to be accompanied by great risk in the morbidity and mortality associated with hepatitis B liver disease. So to simplify that, and that's a clear achievable goal, can be measured. You don't have to wait for 30 years for that goal to be measured because how would you know whether or not your drug was really having an effect? These are outcome that sometimes takes decades to see. So that goal we can see, you could go on a drug and then you go off the drug and all the good things that were associated with the drug remain, no detectable viral DNA, loss of S antigen, appearance of S antibody. So that's called functional cure. And now returning to your question, when do I think that's going to happen? Well, you know that it already happens. It happens in you know a small percentage of those who are treated with even the conventional drugs right now, tenofovir and Baraclude and, and even lamivudine and the, the, nucleus, the nukes as they're called the polymerase inhibitors. There's a percentage of people who after three years, five years, 10 years on that therapy, achieve that. And then, the, and then of course, even a few more if you're treated with the interferons. So we already know it's possible. Um, when will that become more common? Right now it's, as I said, between three and 10% of the people who, who, get, who, who take those drugs over, in the case of the nukes, five to 10 years, in the case of interferon a year, a little less than a year. When do I think that'll become, we'll get another big uh, inflection point in there? I think you're gonna see that within a, within a few years. Uh, it will not be a cure for everybody, but, but, the, but there's a wave of drugs being evaluated now. And, and I, think, I, I think some of them are going to um, result in, 
in sustained virological response and certainly getting more and more people to, to lose S antigen in their blood, which is considered to be kind of a hallmark of uh, a milestone of therapy. And then even a, another smaller group of people getting S antibody, which is considered to be the blood serological definition of, of, um, of a functional cure, um, by a virological cure. So I think that's coming. Now, your other question is, why is it so hard? Why don't I think it's gonna be in three years and it'll be everybody? Well, you've probably heard this from other people. Hepatitis B is a virus that has been around for tens of thousands of years and, has and in animals, uh, hundreds of thousands of years, and, and, has, and has established a mechanism to coexist with its host. That would be you and me, the people are the people who are infected, people who are infected in a way that it kind of flies under the radar screen of your immune system. So your immune system doesn't seem to see it in a productive way. It only sees it in a small way, a bad way. And a, a drug that represses viremia, that is virus in the blood, uh, is, is an easier goal than a virus, that, than a drug that can restore your immune system. That's what people are learning. So if you've got a drug that targets a virus gene product like the polymerases, or now you're hearing about the capsid inhibitors. I'm not going to say that's easy because I've been working on this for decades, but, but it's easier than trying to figure out how to jumpstart your immune system, which seems to be almost required to have this kind of meaningful, enduring um, long-term response. The other thing about hepatitis B, as I, I think many people who listen to this will know, is unlike hepatitis C, it burrows inside your cell, inside the nucleus of your cell, its DNA. So it's kind of there almost indistinguishable from your chromosomes. Unlike, unlike hepatitis C, for example, which is only in the cytoplasm, which is, which is like being in, in, in the ocean, not in the city or something. And it's RNA and it can be recognized much more easily apparently than the DNA. So, so hepatitis B has turned out to be tougher than hepatitis C. And so drugs that can whack it down without hurting the person itself have been tougher. But um, I, think, I think science has the virus you know, by the tail right now. And uh, there's, there are several very good drugs out there right now that can repress the virus levels. And now it's just a matter of finishing it off. It hasn't been so easy. Thank you for, for that. Uh, I think many happy patients uh, look forward to the day when they, they probably will say, we don't need to take any medication. It's like once we are on if it's a 30 day dose, once that is done, then we are fine to go. We don't have to be on medication for a long time. I have a question uh, for you. I have a question for you, Bright. Sure. Um, what if you had a drug? So, you know, with HIV, mm -hmm. it's, there are now new drugs coming out and they're basically one dose a year. I don't think it's really one dose a year, but theoretically it's one dose at every very long period of time. Mm -hmm. What would you think of, of uh, if there was a, not, not the functional cure that we're talking about in the sense that you get antibodies, but if you took one dose of tenofovir or TAF or lamivudine, one of the current drugs, you mm -hmm. took it once a year, what would you think of that? And it repressed your virus DNA levels and, and, and ALT levels dropped. What would you think of that? Would that uh, be a big I, advance for you? Yeah, I, I think that would be great because uh, the problem with 
current patients like me uh, sometimes take having to take the current medication every single day sometimes becomes a challenge. Mm-hmm. And so if I have to just take one pill in 12 months, I think that that makes it a little bit easier because I think just the idea that you have to take this medicine every single day frightens a lot of people. And, and so if that is cut out completely or limited completely, I think that, that will make a huge difference. So, but that, so, um, it would almost be like a prosthetic cure. <laughs> it's so in a sense, you would be serologically mm-hmm. um, kind of uh, made aviremic, no virus in, in, in your blood, mm-hmm. but you'd have, but you know, it'd still be based on taking a medicine, but the medicine, it'd be almost like, I'm kind of talking myself into it, <laughs> but it'd be, it'd be like when you're born, you take this pill and then, you know, uh, almost, almost like a chemical vaccine. Just talking to Dr. Jutao Guo here, who's our um, vice president for research at the Brucus Blumberg Institute, which is the Hepatitis B Foundation's laboratories. And we were just talking about that. And I was actually just last week talking to my wife, Joan uh, Block about that, co-founder of the foundation. She's a nurse and as you know, has chronic hepatitis B. And she expressed a, an interest in that. I thought, well, it was done for HIV. I'm sure it could be done. It's just a material science question. It could be done for Hep B. I, I don't know if anyone's working on it for Hep B, but but we'll talk about it. Sure, I think that would be that would be something really good if that could happen because I think it will it will do a lot good because most patients are holding up on the decision whether they should take their uh, medication, they should go on treatment or wait uh, because some people as I explained that they don't want to start and then they start missing doses and uh-huh. then it leads to problems. So if that is an option, I, I think it will help a lot. Okay. Uh, so that would be something good uh, to keep in we, we all keep in mind and hope that it happens at some point. So I think you did talk about uh, a lot of research that is ongoing currently. Is there any that you are really optimistic about? Yes. I, I mean, so one thing, you know, I think the the there is some the kind of the drugs in the pipeline right now are are I think going to be able to make a contribution. The <clears throat> the RNAi the injectables I I must say that exceeded my expectations. I I didn't you know I don't like in, uh, drugs that require injection and but those drugs seem to be to be very interesting and with keeping an eye on. I think the capsid inhibitors that is a very that's an all new target for hepatitis B. Uh, that's also very interesting. The Merclitix B drug, I, I can't say bivulotide or whatever it is, I can't say that, but that's the entry inhibitor. That had a much better effect than I thought on. And, and remember, Delta, people with Delta virus are in need of uh, therapeutics even more than people with just mono infection with hepatitis B. And Merclitix B was very, very important to them. Some of the drugs that, the drugs that are out there that tell me a lot are drugs like the replicor compound. I can't remember what they call Oh, NAPs, the nucleic acid polymers. I think that's really interesting. I mean, they're kind of crazy the way they have to be given now with so many drugs, but now, right. There's, there's there. Uh, if the, if the work is reproducible and we get a better understanding, significant number of people who got the replicor compounds um, did actually have what we would call functional cures. They lost S antigen, DNA levels went down and the S antibody came up. That's a drug that requires 
injection, I think it's even IV injection multiple times. It's not, that's hard to imagine, you know, being widely used, but, but what that tells you is it's possible. Oh, I should also point out that that drug is given with the nukes and sometimes interfere on another and, and even vaccine, but, but, um, but it, it suggested to me many years ago, wow, we ought to pay attention to that. And, uh, and if people can imitate that, and I think there's another company uh, is Larry Blatt's company, Alagos, um, that, that's, uh, that's following a similar approach. I, I can't say it's the same molecule. I don't know enough about them, but it seemed they, he calls them stops. Um, and that's, that's trying to follow that same path. I love that. That, that technology tells us it is possible to target HPV and, and pharmacologically people to become functionally cured in a, in a really robust efficient manner. So if people would pay attention to that and try to understand how that works, I think we would learn a lot and be able to move the field forward. Yeah, that's that's very hopeful. And mm-hmm. we, we, we will all keep our fingers crossed for the best down the and line. I failed to mention all the therapeutic vaccines. Shame on me. I mean, I think there's some interesting work being done in therapeutic vaccines. That is essentially getting the hepatitis B antigens or 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 or, or uh, DNA or RNA that directs production of those antigens, the same way you would give a vaccine, but you're giving it to someone with hepatitis B and you hope that, that jumpstarts their immune system. It's never worked in the past. It's been tried for 25 years, but now maybe if you get the virus antigen levels down low enough for a long enough period of time and, and use some tricks in the vaccine, adjuvants, making it in different places, making aberrant proteins, maybe that'll, that'll work. We're kind of still, um, I wouldn't say we're in our infancy with the hepatitis, understanding hepatitis B immune system and, 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 and uh, therapeutic rest, immune restoration. Let's call it our adolescence because it's the, cause it, but, but it's, you know, you know about adolescence. Yeah. They take your uh, car or they uh, yeah. get me started. <laughs> I, I think that is very that's very good to know and uh very fascinating as well because uh this going out to many patients uh i think it, it gives them all, all of us hope and to to kind of understand that it's not like the scientific community is not doing anything but actually they are doing so much what is going on is we just don't know what is going on. If you are outside, to an outsider, it might seem like, oh, probably nothing is going on, but it gives us hope to know that. Well, I want you to have hope, and I want you to know that that there, there's, um, I think, very innovative work going on, but I don't want to mislead you. The amount of work being done on hepatitis B today mm-hmm. is a fraction of that being done in other in other disease areas, and and the foundation has published those results. I think it's a it's a very collaborative community, the hepatitis B research community, mm-hmm. uh, very very innovative, and you know some of the brightest people in science are studying hepatitis B and liver cancer, and hepatitis D. But it's a very small group. Yeah. I mean, our meetings are very small <laughs> compared to uh, other disease meetings. The field is very underfunded. I, I should have prepared <clears throat> using the using the NIH as a benchmark. I think the amount of money spent on hepatitis B is, um, you know, a few percent of that's that's still spent on AIDS and autism uh, and and other diseases, and certainly hepatitis C. So um, 
so we have to be luckier. We have to be smarter. Uh, the, 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 so, so, of course, there's a lot of work being done. And now we have some very, very fine companies, creative companies that, that have raised even much more money than is spent on the basic research. We had some data for the Hepatitis B Foundation that showed the difference between the many, many, many billions of dollars that have gone into studying hepatitis C before the hepatitis C cure came out. I can't remember what the number is. And since this is going into posterity, I don't want to say the wrong number. But I do recall looking and thinking, whoa, hepatitis B is like about a 3% of that. So that's where we are. So we have to be smarter. We have to be better. And back to, back to what surprised me in the beginning. I thought, you know, I, I, I'm surprised there isn't a bigger groundswell of grassroots demand from people with hepatitis B for more research, uh, that there isn't a better response from, from our governments to say, yeah, and a, and a bigger response from industry to say, we want to study it. I mean, we want to develop drugs for it. Mm -hmm. the, we, and I think the foundation deserves a lot of credit for this, have done a lot to try to move that needle to get more people to study Hep B, to get more money to spend on it. And, and the number is up significantly from where it was 10 years ago, but it's still a fraction of what has been spent on other diseases. So do be hopeful and, and bright people are working on it and people who are committed to it uh, are, are working on it, but um, but it's it's still a very very small effort. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, uh, just to follow up on that, why why is that the case? Because uh, so I've been on certain uh, some events with the state, uh, like the State Department of Health, and I find it so fascinating that uh, they talk more about Hep C. You barely yeah. hear anyone talk about hepatitis B. It's like hepatitis B. It's doesn't even exist. And I, I always find that strange because I feel like, okay, we do have a cure for hep C. Hep B has no cure. So mm -hmm. why are we still focusing on hep C, the one that already has cure and can be treated and ignoring? So my question, my follow-up question is, why is this still the issue? Why haven't that changed? Well, uh, great question. <clears throat> uh, you know, obviously I wish I knew the answer. The, uh, I want to start by saying the hepatitis C is also a very important problem. Mm. And, and so is HIV. And I wouldn't begrudge those diseases, um, the disease areas, any, any of the research money they're getting. Mm -hmm. You know, we saw in the past 12 months what can be accomplished with enough money and enough will. We had a pandemic that, that was terrifying civilization. And there was a call to action and investment and a vaccine all within, um, you know, really less than a year. Uh, and and um, so that tells you what can happen when there's enough effort put into something. Uh, the hepatitis B, why? Well, for us, I'll say, uh, if you go back, and again, this is kind of a touchy area because uh, um, the Hepatitis B Foundation, we tend to be very concerned with people who have hepatitis B. Obviously, we're big proponents of prophylaxis of vaccination. But the vaccine, quite frankly, has not been a friend to the people with hepatitis B. And I'll try to not get emotional about this, but when Joan and I started the foundation with Jan and Paul, we started the foundation uh, 30 years ago, we met with some public health officials 
And what they said to us, they didn't really know our situation or anything. Actually, they did. But um, they, they, they said to us, oh, what do we need a cure for hepatitis B for? Uh, we've got a very good vaccine. If, if, everybody, if everybody under the age of whatever they said gets the vaccine, mm-hmm. uh, the hepatitis B problem will be solved in 30 years. And we said, but those people who have hepatitis B, there'll be millions of deaths. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, obviously they felt a little bit bad about what they just said, but, but that was, but there's part of your answer that the vaccine is considered to be um, uh, uh, a solution, a cheaper solution than trying to help people like you and Joan and, and many other people, the other 300, 250, 300 million people, just let, you know, deal with it. Um, then there's the issue of hepatitis B being um, a problem and a very big problem in Africa and poorer countries. And it was perceived to be less valuable. Uh, Companies would make less money on it. I I think that's wrong too. It's wrong morally. And I think it's also wrong economically. And we've been trying to make that argument and you're seeing some some change. But but I think that's part of it. We wanna be honest about it. And then, then the hepatitis B community hasn't shouted enough. I mean, you know, the, the HIV community, HCV communities, other disease communities have made their, made their demands known to legislators who then move research. And once there's research done in basic science, companies can pick up on that and, 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 and develop drugs. So we need to be, um, make a bigger voice, make a bigger dent, make ourselves heard more in, in our governments, as I think you are. And people with hepatitis B have just been so silent. That's another, that's kind of a follow-up to what I said in the earlier, what surprised me, it was how quiet the hepatitis B community is, how frankly well-behaved they are. It's important that people with hepatitis B not be so well-behaved. Get up, act up is, was the um, group from, from HIV. We should learn from those communities. Okay, uh, that, that's very uh, insightful and thank you for sharing. And as we continue to, talk about hepatitis B, we will continue also pushing so we can move forward and, and, and kind of push the buttons a little bit and so we can get things done. Uh, so uh, my final question is, uh, what advice would you give to a patient living with Hep B who might be waiting on a cure? Uh, what would you tell them? Oh, that's, so there are several levels. One is the, the sociological one, the political one, ACT UP, make a fuss, but, 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 but um, for the health, it's very clear, uh, mm-hmm. no matter what, um, get into the care of a doctor or a caregiver who knows about hepatitis B. If, if, if treatment is indicated and, it's, and there are great drugs out there now, I'm not mm-hmm. cures and, and I know all that, but make sure if, if you're treatment eligible or, or, or it's indicated that you should get treatment, get the treatment. And of course, continue to be seen by your doctor or caregiver and monitored for the other diseases that uh, the diseases, the liver diseases that hepatitis B causes. And then the whole lifestyle stuff, that stuff that people have to just uh, deal with themselves, a healthy lifestyle, but, but, but certainly make sure that you take advantage of what's known now. And there's a lot more known today, goodness. There's a lot more known today for the care of, uh, the care of people with chronic hepatitis B and D than there was 30 years ago. Take advantage of that information and be seen by by a, a medical professional. Thank you for that advice. Um, and also know this, um, he- he- hepatitis B 
uh, should not should not be a thing of shame and should not scare people. It should simply motivate people to 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 make sure that it gets managed. It's like uh, you know, just like I don't know, leaky faucet. Just fix it. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, if you just deal with it, it's much less likely to um, to lead to any problems. There are medicines now and ways to screen for disease. Make sure that you get the get advantage of, take advantage of that. That's a great advice for us all. And I want to thank you again, uh, Dr. Brock, for coming on. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. And thank you very much for the questions. And thank you for all you've done. Thank you very much. That's all from us today. Thank you all for listening. We'll talk to everyone in the next episode.